Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Hallelujah. Praise God. We're talking about Jesus, our healer. This is our second lesson on Jesus, our healer. Aren't you glad he's the same yesterday, today, forever and always, and he will never, ever change? Appreciate your enthusiasm. You're excited about that. I can tell. Aren't you glad? He's the same. He never changes. We change. He doesn't change. And he calls us. He reels us back in and he calls us back and says, now get back with the program. Amen. Amen. Before I even look at any of this and review any of this, you know, God has called us all to certain ministries and certain things to emphasize and do, right? And so I thank God for the calling. I know when I came here so many years ago, 44 years ago this month, I know I brought a message to the community, somewhat different from what people had heard before, much highly criticized by so many. I mean, I was called on the carpet, you know, many times because of what I presented, because of what I brought. But you know what? As I sit back and I observe and I go back and I rehearse and I see all the things that took place all those, all those many, many years, it was what God wanted done. It's what he wanted instilled within the hearts of people for this reason. You go back to the Old Covenant and when you discover when they came out of Egypt, signs, wonders, and miracles were displayed like you would, couldn't even imagine. It shook Egypt to its foundation. It brought it down to its foundations. They went out from Egypt after seeing those ten signs. Then the Israelites trekking through the wilderness. What did they see? Signs and wonders and miracles continuing in their lives. 4,500 tons of manna every single day to feed them. Imagine that. 11 million gallons of water coming out of a rock every single day to provide for their needs and their livestock and cattle and etc. etc. Every day. That's heat and air conditioning. Every single day that they saw. And trust me, in the, in the desert, in the wilderness there, they needed that. The cloud by day, the fire by night. They were protected from all the serpents. And they didn't know that until they sinned against God and then he just released his hand and the serpents got a hold of them. And they began to die, 23,000 in one day. Imagine that. So they saw his protective hand. All the way through the wilderness and they finally came up to the Red Sea. When you get to the Red Sea, here's a situation that is impossible for man. There's no time to build a bridge. There's no time to build a boat. There's no time for a helicopter or an airplane or anything of that nature. You've got two and a half to three million people to get across to the other side. You've got the Egyptians following you from behind and you've got the mountains on the side. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. He said, Moses, you've got the rod. Don't look to me. You've got the rod that represents the word. You've got the rod. Stretch it forth. Declare it. Proclaim it. And the waters separated and they were congealed. Frozen like ice on either side. Can you imagine how big that space was to get oh, two, two and a half million people across? Imagine that. You saw my signs. You saw my miracles. You saw my wonders. And then he said, now, what I want to do is get you into this place called Canaan's land. That's the place of promise. It's in that place 
you are going to experience the fullness of what I have for you. Okay, so they get there. They go spy out the land. And when they get there to spy out the land, two of the 12 tribe leaders, Joshua and Caleb, they were of faith. The other 10, full of doubt and unbelief. Those 10 came back and said, we can't do this. There's giants in the land. Walled cities. There's no possible way. They got warriors. We're like grasshoppers. They'll step on us. And Joshua and Caleb steal the people and just say, it's all right. They're not bigger than our God. We can do this. And what do they get for their efforts? Almost stoned. They pick up stones to stone them. What did God say? He has to provide his glory as a shield to protect them from being stoned. Because Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it. What does God say? And this is the key. You saw my signs. You saw my wonders. You saw my miracles. How long is it going to take for you to believe my word? Signs, wonders, and miracles will bring us to the land. But you want to get in the land and enjoy the fullness of the land? You've got to develop your own personal faith in God. And I believe that's what he's called me to do so many years ago, was to take that to a level, maybe where we weren't before. But you know what? Over the years, if you don't watch, you can lose a lot of that. And I'm going to show you why in the life of King Asa in just a moment. So I'm refreshed. I am ready to unleash what it means to have faith in a living God. Because all the situations that we encounter in this life, you can't just go from place to place thinking you're going to get a miracle because you go to this meeting, that meeting, that meeting, this meeting, whatever. Comes a time that God holds us responsible to believe his word. Finally, what did Caleb say? 45 years later, my fellows that went up with me, they, they caused the people's heart to melt. But I, my co-worker here, Joshua and I, we went in there with a the bold faith and said we can take the land. We had a spirit of faith about us. So, so Joshua, Caleb says, I'm 85 years old today. Let's get this thing going. Give me my mountain because I'm able to do war, to do battle, to go in, to go out, whatever. Give me my mountain. I'm going to take a hold of it. Stand firm and strong in my faith. I believe God. 85 years old. He's talking like that. Imagine that. So, it's important that we recognize the need for us to be taught in the word of God and understand how to apply our faith to the principles those faith principles to the situations that we encounter in life. Now, when it comes to healing, it's so important to learn these things. Don't wait until we need healing. Learn these things before we need healing. Number one, God's view of sickness is this. It's written for you. It's a curse. It's a captivity. It's a destruction. It's a list goes on. It is a bed of languishing. It is bondage. And then we could group it all together and say, you know what it is? Evil. 
I will not allow these evil diseases to come on you like that came on the Egyptians. So to summarize the whole view of God with regard to sickness, it's what? Evil. And then secondly, his view toward healing, it's a rescue. It's a necessity. It is a benefit. It's a covenant right. It is something that is good. It's a good thing. So sickness is evil and healing is good. Which would you rather have? Draw a line. If you want to get your theology right, draw a line. Sickness is evil. Healing is good. As we continue our study, look at Proverbs 18, verse 9. This is from the Amplified Version of the Bible. And the Amplified here is taken from what is called the Septuagint. And that is the Greek translation of the Old Testament Scriptures. And it's taken here from that section of Scriptures. It addresses the problem of whether one has a moral right to neglect the body by letting nature take its course that's unhindered when it comes to sickness. Some people think, well, it's wrong maybe to use something like medical science or some other kind of natural aid or whatever. But look at this verse. He who is loose and slack in his work is brother to him who is a destroyer. And he who does not use his endeavors to heal himself is brother to him who commits suicide. Did you get that? In other words, when you can do something to help yourself, you better do it. If you can help yourself. I know some say you should never see a doctor, never take a medication. If your faith level is there, that's great. That's great. But don't discourage somebody else along the way. If you need help along the way, use the help along the way. But don't stop there. And that's the whole point of this. He has made provision for us to get to a place where we can develop our faith to a higher level so that we can tap into the resources of heaven and receive our healing. But he's basically saying, look, look, if you cut yourself, is it wrong to use an antiseptic to see to it that it doesn't get infected? No, it's not wrong to do that. If someone were to fall and maybe break a bone or something like that, is it wrong to, to get an x-ray to see what's going on and get it set right? No. Now, if they can believe God like some do and get an instant healing, that's great. But we don't discourage somebody else and make them feel like a failure because they didn't. They went to a hospital, got an x-ray. Can you see that? Okay. So whether it's natural, whether it's medical or whatever, it's okay in the sight of God. Well, someone might say, well, what about 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 12 and 13, where King Asa saw the physician and he died? Well, let's read it and see. Asa, in the 39th year of his reign, was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great. Yet in his disease he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers and died in the one and fortieth year of his reign. Okay. Before we can comment, first of all, let's understand this. When he's talking about the physicians at that time, he's talking about the Egyptian physicians, and they basically used charm. Charms. Incantations. Mystic arts. In order for them to expel diseases from people's lives. So when we're, we're not talking about the same type of physician that we experience today. It's important to know that. But another thing about King Asa is this. He was known as one of the most wonderful kings, but he did have a fall. But let's go all the way back to the time when he first became the king of Judah. What did he do? He called for national reform. What did he do? He went around the cities and the villages and he cast down, he brought down all the altars that were uh, used to worship other false gods. 
and also the practices that they practiced during those times that were immoral, etc., etc., and said, no, no, it's time for national reform. We will serve Jehovah God, the covenant-keeping God of our fathers. And so, well noted, God loved it. For 10 years they had peace in Judah until it came time to pass that the Ethiopians decided they were going to destroy Judah. In the process, he sought the face of God. King Asa sought God's face. See, during that 10-year period, they had developed their own particular army, but it was no match for the one million man army plus 300 chariots of the Ethiopians. And so he sought the Lord and said, we're no match for this. And the Lord intervened and brought victory into their lives. And they were all delivered and set free. And Azariah, the prophet, came and said to King Asa, King Asa, this happened. You, you realize it's not you and it's not us. It's not our military force that did this, that achieved this. It is the hand of God. And he recognized it. So he had their second revival. The second revival went about all the remnants that maybe weren't worshiping Jehovah like they should and brought down their altars and changed their behavior and everything. And so they got it all right. And now they had 20 years of peace until Israel was going to attack Judah. You see, by this time, something happened in Asa. This time, instead of seeking the face of God for deliverance, just like he did the first time with the Ethiopians, he makes a pact. He actually bribes the king of Syria, Benedict. And what he does is he offers money. And he gets the money from the treasury, which was the Lord's money. You see, they had, Syria had a, a pact with Israel, who was going to attack Judah. But when he paid them off, they turned on Israel. Now they were protected, but God was not happy. And what happened was Hanani the prophet came to King Asa and said, Oh king, God's not pleased with you. You believed him the first time and he divinely protected you and all of Judah. And all these years, over 30 years, you've had peace because you put your trust in him. And now you're trusting in your own ingenuity and your own skills or whatever it is, your bargaining power, and, and, all, and you use the Lord's money to bribe this king to turn on Israel to help you? God is not pleased. He had a different plan for you. Well, guess what? Instead of repenting, King Asa was upset. He was so upset, he threw the prophet in jail. And all persecuted the others that were in support of, of, the, uh, of the prophet. The Lord spoke to him and said to him, this was wrong. I had a plan. And if you would have sought my face, I would have made certain that these enemies coming against you would have all been defeated and you would have had perfect peace. But you messed up the whole plan by not looking to me and doing it your own way. Now you're going to have more war than you can handle. King Asa, you can see his further decline when he gets diseased at his feet. You see, you're not going to turn to the Lord now because you see he's got to a place. It erodes. Your faith can erode over the years with challenges and trials and all that that take place. That it's not as robust and as firm as it once was before. And what does he do? 
rather than still repenting, rather than turning to the face of God, he turns to the physicians that use charms and mystical arts. God's not happy with him. So he has no help from God and no help from man because remember the woman with the issue of blood, how she submitted herself to all those ridiculous kinds of things, methods? Remember the one where you had to dig a ditch? She had the flow of blood. You dig a ditch and you get these twigs from these particular trees in the first or whatever years of it, put them inside, they light a fire under it, and she has to sit over top of it. She has a cup of wine in her hand. Are you kidding me? See, we're not talking about... Now, I mean, uh, uh, my doctor, my PC, PC is uh, Dr. Hindley. You know Dr. Brad Hayward, he comes here. You know his life. Oh, we talked about certain things, you know, this, that, and the other thing, and talked about a lot of procedures and that. I never, never, never once heard any of those doctors say, yeah, what I do is I go to the back of my office and I have a witch brewing some pot back there. And what I do is I come up with some charms and, you know, I come up with some incantations and all that. And then uh, it depends on what the situation might be and how severe it is. I never heard that. So when we're talking about modern science, uh, uh, medical science, we're not talking about the stuff that they used. Jeremiah 17 and verse 5 says this, and this is important. He said, cursed is a man that trusts in man and makes flesh his arm. Now, what's the curse? See, if you study the curse out here, what you find out about the curse? You are limited by his knowledge and understanding of things. You're limited by the person's ability to do things. How many of you know, no matter who we are, we are limited in our full scope of power, abilities, knowledge, understanding, wisdom, and all that. And no matter how wonderful a doctor might be, he will tell you himself, I'm not the one who cures anybody. I'm not the one who heals anybody. We will do our part. But you need something more than us in situations that are, for example, terminal, something like that. We're limited as to what we can do. So the curse is that if I totally trust only in what man can do, I am limited by what only man can do. But if I say, you know, help me along the way, but I'm looking to the great physician, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm looking to the one who bore my sickness and carried my pains by whose stripes I'm healed. We could take it to a higher level. See, the problem is when we only believe in man, then we're cursed with the limitations of a man. But we go beyond what man can do and say, I thank God for what he has done. It takes us to a higher level of faith. And now we're using a whole lot more. Look at Acts 10, 38. So you see, it's not just uh, whether it's medical science. This next one is very important when, when it comes to understanding our healer and healing. How God anointed, no, God the Father, anointed Jesus, the Son of Nazareth, with the Holy Ghost, that's all three of the Godhead, and with power, went about doing good. Everybody say doing good. Doing good. Well, what's doing good? Healing all. Healing all is doing good. Doing good includes healing all that were oppressed of God. That were being taught a lesson when they're sickness. They were oppressed of whom? The devil, for God was with him. Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. He came to reveal to us the very heart of God and the will of God when he came to the earth. And he says that sickness, all that he healed, was satanic oppression. So God's not the author of sickness. Sickness is not of God. It's not from heaven. No, it's demonic. 
it's evil, as we said, and Jesus came to reveal all that to us. If we could just follow through this, the Gospels, we'd see it clearly. That's why it always troubles me when someone says, but what about Job's boils? He can keep them. Yeah. <laughs> right? What about Paul's, you know, thorn? It wasn't a sickness. What about Timothy's stomach? Why are we looking at Paul, Timothy, or Job when we've got the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to look at? Jesus, listen to this, never forget this. Jesus is perfect theology. You want perfect theology? Jesus is perfect theology. Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. Let's look at perfect theology. He was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity. Eighteen years was bowed together, could, not, could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. He laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue, as pious as he is, answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said to the people, There are six days in which men ought to work, and them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. I'm glad he knows the letter of the law. The Lord answered him, said, thank you for correcting me. I appreciate your insight. I respect who you are, your authority. What did he say? What did he say? You hypocrite. Hmm. Doth not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And not this woman being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan had bound low these 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Now, when it comes to sickness and demonic activity, there are spirits of infirmity that cause problems in people's physical bodies, even Christians. A Christian can have a spirit in his spirit, but you can't have a spirit in your flesh or in your mind. And so in this case, this was a spirit of infirmity that had caused the problem that she had. Now, what's the problem? Well, do you think if it was possible for her to have an x-ray during that time? And she went to some emergency room somewhere, and I don't think they can give her an MRI because she couldn't lay flat. She couldn't even bow herself. She couldn't pick her. She was like walking around like this. Couldn't even lift up herself. That was it. What do you think the diagnosis would have been? Could it have been scoliosis of the spine? Could have had, right? Curvature of the spine? Could it have been uh, rheumatoid arthritis or whatever condition? So whoever was on call, let's say maybe the doctor that, that evening that she went to the hospital, do you think he would have written down something like cause, spirit of infirmity? Anybody think that? No. See, we read this and we take it lightly, but I'll tell you something right now. It's the truth. There was a spirit of infirmity that attached itself to her body, resulting in scoliosis, curvature of the spine, or whatever it might have been that caused the condition. 
And it was not comfortable for her for 18 years. And who caused it? Satan had her bound by a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. So now we see that. Notice that when the spirit was removed from her body, that her healing was immediate. You notice that? Immediate. It wasn't a process. It was immediate. So you get the spirit out, instant healing for her body. She's completely healed and completely whole. Now, there's a distinct difference between the two. Whether one can be immediately healed or one is a process of healing. And for the most part, Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they shall what? Recover. recover. He didn't say immediately. They can recover from that point on. They can, they'll start recovering and stay in faith and you'll recover. But here, it's immediate because there was a spirit involved. You hear me oftentimes talk about my son Jason when I walked into his room when he was young and he was burning up with the fever. It came out of nowhere that he was burning up with fever, laboring to breathe. He was very young at the time. I walked into the room like I would normally do and I was just going to, going to lay hands on him and pray for him, curse the, the, the uh, fever and all that and the cause of it. And as I hit the middle of the room, it was like I walked into a brick wall and I heard these words from the Lord saying, you honored me, you showed your love, and now I'm going to show you love. It's something how you can have this kind of a conversation with God without anybody exchanging words. And I just stood there and knew exactly what to do. And I said, come out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I, made, when I said those words, this bird-like black figure flew off the top of his head and out the window. I saw it. And the moment it left his brow, he took it a deep breath and was completely healed. His temperature was normal. His breathing was normal. It was a spirit of infirmity that tried to attach itself to his life. You see, unless we're willing to step beyond this realm in which we live and start identifying the fact that these spirits are real, then we're going to be limited. When we start recognizing that these spirits can bring infirmity in people's lives and bodies, and that the, really, in, some, in those cases, there's one thing that's going to work. The name of Jesus. That's what's going to work and change that situation. So, now, another thing is this. Jesus gave a reason why she ought to be healed. Look at verse 16. Can we throw that up there once, one more time? Ought not this woman, being a worker at Christian Assembly Church, well, ought not this woman, uh, being a praise team member, ought not this woman who cleaned the synagogue weekly? Why am I doing that? I've had people say to me, if anybody ought to be healed, it ought to be this woman. I'll never forget the church. I'll never forget was Pleasant Valley Church in Niles, Ohio. And pointed and said, she sat right here and taught Sunday school for 25 years. If anyone ought to be healed, it ought to be her. And I just stood there looking at him like, you really believe that? You think that's the basis for someone to be healed? That's not the basis for someone to be healed. Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound low these 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? Why should she be healed? She's a daughter of Abraham. That's why. 
Being a daughter of Abraham means healing belongs to her, so she ought to be healed. It's the devil that did it, and it's God that releases her, but she's a daughter of Abraham. I can see somebody sitting right now thinking, boy, that'd be nice if we were children of Abraham. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> Look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29. You got your shouter ready? And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Hallelujah. You're Abraham's child. You're an heir according to the promise. Look at verses 13 and 14 from the same chapter. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Curses everyone that hangs on the tree. Why? That the blessings of Abraham might come on whom? The Gentiles. Hallelujah, through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Thank God we are the children of Abraham, and even beyond that, we are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. We've got a covenant established upon better promises than what they had, and if she ought to be healed, then what? We ought to be healed. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Healing is based on redemption. It's based on atonement. It's not based on your works. It's not based on my works. Don't, doesn't that just relieve you? It releases you from anything and everything. Just say, oh, it's not about me. Hmm. I can't be good enough to be healed, and neither can you. It's impossible. If it was obtained that way, no one would be healed. No one would be saved. Look at these verses here in Romans chapter 5. The only basis that God can bless us is the covenant and the atonement. Jesus dying for us and paying the price for us. We're not going to take time to read them all. But if you look at verses 12 through 20, here we have Paul showing us the consequences of Christ's obedience, how they extend way beyond, or at least they encompass and cover uh, anything that Adam did. So whatever Adam did to sin against God, and the effect that it had, Jesus had the opposite effect. So when Adam fell, he fell as the figure representative for the whole human race. Can you see that? For, wherefore, by one man's sin, and, by one man's sin entered the world, and death by sin, so that death path upon all, all men and all that all have sinned. So it passed upon all of us. You weren't there, I wasn't there, but you know what? We got the brunt of it. We're part of it. He's the figure represented for the entirety of the human race. And the decision that he made was as far reaching as heaven itself because of what he did. So this, the world that we're living in is a fallen world based on the decision of Adam from the very beginning when he fell. Well, through Adam's sin, a death sentence was passed upon every single one of us so that all have sinned. And there's no hope of resurrection. There's no help of restoration. There's no help of deliverance whatsoever in Adam. In Adam, everybody is lost and hell-bound awaiting the lake of fire as their final destination. What a horrible thought. Can you say amen to that? Exactly. Well, by the obedience of one, by Jesus Christ taking our place, the sentence of death that was upon all the human race was completely, completely canceled. Totally canceled. Hallelujah. And because of it, our original dominion has been reinstated. Don't let that fall too far from your ears. 
Our sin debt has been canceled. Our death sentence has been canceled. We have been given back the authority that Adam lost from the very beginning in the name of Jesus. One man's sin constituted all of us sinners, not by our own sin. Therefore, one man's obedience constitutes us as being righteous, not by our acts of righteousness. It's only two men, the first Adam and the second Adam. We can stay living under the first Adam's authority, or we can stay living under the second Adam's authority. The choice is ours to make. Glory be to God. Can you see it? Yes. It's not based on your performance, how good you can be and whatever. You, it's based on what I believe. Do I believe in the finished work of Christ or not? Do I believe he paid my sin debt? He bore my sin. He bore my sickness. He carried my pain. You ready for this? Look in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. As believers, we are victorious in Christ already. We're not defeated people waiting to become victorious we are victorious, and we are more than conquerors. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our, this is the New King James Version, confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot, be, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we, we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So whether it's salvation, whether it's healing, whether it's deliverance, whether it's protection or provision, it's all ours. Victory is ours. Why? Not because of what we've done, but because of Jesus and what he's done. And as the high priest of the new and everlasting covenant, as the surety and the guarantee that every word is spoken that's spoken is true, he backs it up. He says, come boldly to the throne of grace and hold what? Your confession of faith. Did you hear that? Hold fast your confession of faith without wavering. Why? Because we've got a faithful high priest who's standing, who's sitting at the right hand of God, ready to make it good. What's he saying? Go to the throne of God. And notice, notice first, before I say this, look at chapter uh, 3 and verse 1 of Hebrews. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our what? Of our what? Of our confession, Christ Jesus. He's the high priest of our saying the same thing. That's what confession is. The Greek word means saying the same thing. What same thing? We do it every time we meet. I am what the Word says I am. I have what the Word says I have. I can do what the Word says I can do. I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I am delivered. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I am set free. I am made whole. I am healed. I am what the Word says I am. I am more than a conqueror through Him that loves me. Hold fast your confession of faith. I know all the circumstances of life change. I know that our situations all change, but God does not change, and redemption does not change, and that means that we are to hold fast our confession of faith so that He has something to work with. As we proclaim it, the Holy Ghost moves upon our lives and makes it a reality to us. I have what the Word says I have, but what do I have? I have victory in Jesus. I have authority and power over all the power of the enemy. I have the power of attorney. I have the right to use the name of Jesus as I 
trek through this life. I have the power to cast out devils and demons. I can speak with new tongues. I have wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption because Jesus was made all that to me. I have forgiveness and remission of all my sins. Hallelujah. And I can do all things through Christ. That means I can do whatever through Christ who strengthens me. Notice it's through Christ who strengthens me. You see, the problem is people want to go back and study. What did they wear back in the, in the days, you know, uh, way back when? Did they wear skirts? Did they wear pants? What did they wear? Uh, what did they, uh, who, does it matter? No. For some reason, we in the, earth, the church have neglected the finished work of Christ. Everything that was done from way back Genesis, remember the whole Testament's preparing us for Jesus to come. The gospel was the manifestation of Jesus and my goodness did he wreak havoc with the powers of darkness. Did he show us the heart of the Father God? Did he reveal to us what God's will is for mankind? Everywhere he went he said every person free that had any sickness or disease or any problem in their lives. Anyone that had a demon he cast it out. That's God in action. You go to the book of Acts it's the, it's the proclamation of the gospel. They continue to do what Jesus did. The epistles explain. It's the explanation of the finished work of Christ. And it seems like people want to major in all these studies and all that. And they major in the minors rather than majoring in the majors. What's the major? What did Jesus do? You know what he said this? Father, I've glorified you on this earth. I, can, I finished the work that you gave me to do. Now give me my glory back. What, what did he give him to do? He came to undo, outdo, and overdo all the works of the devil. That's what he did. And did he do it? Yes. He did it. He succeeded. Power over death, hell and the grave. Guess what's missing? Look in the book of Proverbs chapter 15. And it tells you what's missing. My heart will rejoice when your lips speak right things. Those Israelites said, the ten spies, I call them the ten board members. <laughs> ten board members over all the tribes. Now, let's sit down and reason this out, everybody. They're big, they're strong, they're giants, they're, wall, they're city. My, what a, what, my goodness, look how thick those walls are. Look at those chairs riding on top of the wall. Mm, I don't think this is something that we want to engage in. My military expertise says to me that I think we need to set this plan aside and just wait, do something else. <laughs> Joshua and Caleb, they come along and just say, stop talking. <laughs> I was being polite. Stop Talking, your mouth is getting you in trouble. Right? We can do it. God's on our side. Hallelujah. We can do it. With God, all things are possible. We can do it. Let's go get the land that belongs to us. And they want to stone them because they're faith people. What school did you go to, Rama? Well, they went to Rama, but not the same school. But anyhow, and so what does God do? God stops him from stoning him and he says, okay, these people are stiff-necked. They saw my signs and wonders and miracles, but they don't want to believe my word. So guess what? Ready for it? Numbers 14, 28. As you spoke in my ears, that's what I will do to you. Did you hear that? As you spoke in my ears, that's what you get. And they died in the wilderness, just like they said they would. So you see, I understand that there are people that have taken the faith message too far and they've misrepresented it. I know, I want a million oil wells. 
So I'm going to go home. I'm going to sit back on my easy chair. I don't have to work anymore. I want a million oil wells. I have a million oil wells. I own a million oil wells. That was 1979. I think they're still saying it. I want a million. That's not what faith is all about. Faith is based on the finished work of Christ. Christ crushed the head of the serpent. He's trying to bring pain and torture into our lives. It's time that we rise up, stand up, take a stand and say, you've been defeated. I'm victorious in Christ. I'm more than a conqueror in Him. But you see, people get bored with that. Let me tell you this. Here's the secret. I'm not saying it's easy. Here's the secret. You ready for the secret? Jesus said, you honor me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. Can you see this? Got to get my heart and my mouth in sync. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. You got to get those two together. When you believe it in your heart and say it with your mouth, your mountain will remove. When you believe it in your heart and say it with your mouth, the tree will be uprooted and planted into the sea. Can you see this? This is the message I brought here 44 years ago. And I'll tell you what, when I go back and look at all those miracles, it's all based on that message of faith. I'm telling you. It makes the biggest difference in the world. How does Asa get from a place to where, I believe God, to, oh, let me see, I can steal some money from the treasury from Solomon's temple and pay off the king to help us. What does that show me? You don't stay the same over the years. And if we don't feed our spirit's faith on a constant, continuous basis, you know what? The world will cave in around us. When we're challenged and we're attacked with sickness, with disease, with all the events of this world, that's exactly what will happen. And then you kind of lose, you faint and lose heart. See, that's what it says. You'll reap if you faint not, but people faint. You know what? People are starting to faint as a result of this nation that we're living in right now. You know what God's calling us to do? Stand up, stand firm, stand strong, and declare the word over this nation once again. Stop all this garbage. Stop watching your politics on TV. Start opening up your Bible and saying, Jesus is Lord over the United States of America. He's going to have his way among us. We declare it. We make a highway for God to move, and we believe God. We believe God. We believe God. Hallelujah. Only he can make the difference in this nation. So it's up to us to let him do it. Not to sit back and complain about what's going on. Can you see that? Whew. <laughs> Hallelujah. I know about you. I preached myself happy this morning. There's a fire in my bones this morning. How about yours? Rise up, stand up, stand firm, stand strong. Find out what the Bible says about the finished work of Christ and just say, it's been done. It is, I wish I could meddle for another hour on it is finished alone. It is finished. What was finished was not redemption when he said those words. It was the Abrahamic covenant was fulfilled. The law was fulfilled. Redemption wasn't finished till he went to the throne and offered up his blood. Can you see that?